Jesus, we welcome you. Lord, we welcome you into our hearts. We welcome you into this time. We ask that you would be king, Lord. God, that we would give you the praise that you alone are worthy of. God, I pray against every distraction, every trouble, every worry, everything else that in this moment would fight and compete for our attention. Jesus, you alone are beautiful. You alone are worthy. God, we join with all the angels. We join with all the people across the globe to declare that you are great and greatly to be praised. And we are thankful this morning that you have saved us. We are thankful that you've called us. We are thankful that you've given us hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Let's give God some praise. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. It's, it's good to almost see you with these lights blinding, blinding my eyes. As you take your seats, say hi to the person next to you. Don't be a stranger. Don't be a stranger. Welcome to Zion Church, Zion NYC. My name is David St. Jean. I am one of the elders here. And on behalf of our church, I want to welcome you if this is your first time. Um, I'm also going to, at this point, release the children. <laughs> so if you're in the aisles, be careful. They're full of life and energy and we'll run you over. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing myself <laughs> as the person bringing the word. Pleasure or displeasure, depends who you ask. I want to pray before I do that because this is a very, it's a, it's a, it's a privilege, it's an honor, it's a weight that's holy, that's heavy, and I just want to be faithful. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that everything we need to know about you, what you're doing, what you call us to, you've already provided it. We don't have to go searching. We don't have to go on journeys to, to understand what it is you're saying to us. It's right here. It's on our phones. It's in, in ink, God. You've made that accessible. So I pray, Lord, by your Holy Spirit that you would speak to our hearts what it is you want to say. Um, Lord, I pray that we would be convicted by your word. We'd also be brought hope by your word because that's what you do. And that at the end of everything, Lord, you are glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. St. <laughs> Jude. All right. Can you think about the last time you were sold on an idea? If we had enough time, I'd walk around with the mic and ask you what that was. But, right, if you, if you can't think about that, here's a couple of 
suggestions, right? Maybe the last time you went shopping for something, the sales associate in the store got you to buy something that you weren't planning on buying. Maybe you were at a restaurant, right, and you were planning to get the burgers and fries. I'm not talking about myself. But the, the waiter did such a good job of talking about the special of the day that you were like, yeah, you know what? I don't know what market price is, but I want that, right? I'll pay for it. Maybe it's a close friend of yours who got you to do something that's crazy and maybe a little bit stupid, right? I think about my brother Aaron who last, you know, two months ago got me to go on this terrifying roller coaster even though I, I'm terrified, like deathly afraid of heights, deathly afraid, but he sold me and I got on it and it was like the best six minutes of my life, twice. Not, I mean, there's a bunch of things that come before that, but like you get what I mean, right? I love you, Stephanie and Ambrose. Um, or maybe, right, if you don't resonate with any of those, maybe it's an email that you got from a Nigerian prince who was in distress, right? <laughs> Who's in dire straits and... He just needed you to send a couple, of a couple hundred dollars to him and your banking information, and you would get a great fortune. <laughs> Maybe it's that, right? I hope not, because Jesus tells us to be wise as serpents. But think about the last time you were sold on an idea. I'm a sales professional by, by, by trade or by career um, for, I think, 12 years now. I started off by raising money from my college, so I'd call alumni and harass them for money. Um, and then eventually, like, I became what's called an SDR, so I call people. I probably cold called your business and, and tried to get you to take a meeting with a sales rep. Eventually, I became a sales rep, which means I, like, held the meetings, um, I shared ideas, I sold business, and now I'm a sales manager. But my time in sales has really helped me to see what's a good deal What's a bad deal, right? You know that. You know that, like, whenever you know situations and someone's presenting with an idea, we're like, hey, this is good. I'm going to jump on it, or this is really bad. I should run. So as I've been a sales professional for about 12 years, I, I've learned that in order for someone to be convinced or buy into what you're, you're trying to convey or sell to them, you need to satisfy this one question. What's that one question? Do I need it? That's, someone's been in sales, I could tell. But the question that I'm talking about is, and it's related to that, what's in it for me? If I buy into what you're talking about, what am I going to get out of it? That's the number one question. If you can answer that convincingly, you'll get your idea across. People will buy into what you're trying to, to sell, or you'll, you'll be able to influence people towards whatever it is that you believe. This is basic human nature. So. Yes, you were only planning to buy a 65-inch screen TV at Best Buy, but when that sales rep told you about how you're going to be able to see into people's organs when you get the 8K version of it, you were like, yeah, I want that. Or, yeah, you know, uh, roasted salmon on a bed of greens, uh, slightly drizzled with olive oil, that's, that's what got you. Like, that's what's in it for you. Or, in the case of getting on a roller coaster when you're terrified of heights, at night... What's in it for me is the thrill of getting so close to death but not dying, right? That's what's in it for me. Basic human nature. You want someone to buy into what you're trying to convey or sell to them, you have to answer that question for them. 
So as we dive into today's passage, Jesus shares the requirements of being a disciple. Right? He makes that invitation to us all. What does it mean to be a disciple? If you want to be a disciple, this is what you got to do. And at first glance, if you read it, and we will in a, in a, couple, of, a couple of minutes, this doesn't look like a good deal. All right, what he's offering is not, it's not like super attractive. It's, it's not, it's hard. But here's the goal. By the end of this message, I hope to convey, and I hope to show you why Christians like us before have gone all in to Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. Why they've given up everything and just bought into it. Let's open our Bibles or let's pull out our sheets or our smartphones and read Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not first sit down and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who come against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is a great way off, sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So just in context here, last week, Jesus is at a party with other religious leaders. This week, we transition, and Jesus is amongst a crowd of people. And this is very typical of Jesus, right? Large crowds followed him all the time, and that's because he met both their physical needs and he met their spiritual needs. A lot of times, like we have a story about Jesus feeding 5,000. Um, he would feed the people, and then he would also teach them about the kingdom. He would teach them about God. So that's, that's a situation that we find ourselves here. So just to give you some context. Now, we look at Jesus' invitation, and these are the requirements. You want to follow me? You need to hate your father, hate your mother, hate your children, hate yourself, hate your brother, hate your sister. That seems, if I'm, if I'm in that crowd, I'm like, what is this guy talking about? Right? That seems extreme. Jesus wants me to hate my wife. Jesus wants me to hate my kids. But to give you some relief here, this is just this exaggeration, right? Jesus is not telling you to hate your family members, right? So don't walk out today thinking, man, I really got to hate my wife. Or those kids, man, <laughs> I have every right to leave them at the fire station now. Like, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Please don't do that. This is an exaggeration. You see, Jesus uses this this example because in that context, the family structure was highly revered. It's a big deal, right, your family. Today, it's, it's not as, uh, as revered, unfortunately. But what Jesus is getting at here is 
if you want to be my disciple, you cannot be devoted to anything or anyone more than me. That is a very tall order. I love this definition of devotion. Right? And it says, devotion is love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for any person, activity, or cause. Love, loyalty, and enthusiasm for any person, activity, or cause. This is what Jesus is getting after. Jesus is saying, if you don't love me more than anything, activity, cause, person, if you are not loyal to me more than any activity, cause, person, if you are not enthusiastic about me more than any activity, love, or cause, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That is crazy. That's a lot to ask of someone. And if I'm in that crowd, I was like, man, I was just here for the food, right? Like, I heard you give out fish sandwiches and bread. Like, I'm here for the food. I don't know what this guy's talking about. This is a very, very tall order. But this is what Jesus is after. He has to be first. He has to be foremost. He has to have our allegiance. He has to have our loyalty, our enthusiasm. And nothing else can demand that more than Jesus in your life. Which begs the question, what are you more devoted to than Jesus? In this example, we talked about family, right? For some of us, that's it, right? I live and breathe and die for my family. Anything my family needs, I will go out on a limb and do it. Some of that, that's our, our cultures, our traditions. Like, this is the way I was brought up. This is how I think, this is how I do things. I can't change that. I can't give that up. For some of us, that's our own happiness. And if we look at our culture at large, that's what drives a lot of the things that we do. I just want to be happy. You do whatever you need to do to be happy. Don't judge me for what I need to do to be happy. Some of us, it's our own autonomy. Like, I want to be able to do whatever I want to do. And I want everybody to be okay with that. Tolerate me as I tolerate you. Very, very, very prevalent in our culture. For some of us, it's our devotion to security. Like, we've, some of us have had really, really hard lives and have gone through some really hurtful things, a ton of trauma. So it's understandable. Like, your, your number one priority in devotion is to making sure that you are okay, that you are taken care of in every sense. Because maybe someone who was supposed to take care of you failed at that. But that is something that we can be devoted to more than Christ. Some of us, it's comfort. I just want the best possible life, and I want to be able to do and live how I please and just have a good time doing that. Some of us, it's our image that we're devoted to. I want people to see me this way. So I'm going to do X, Y, Z. I'm going to post three times a day on Instagram. I'm going to show up with a smile. I want you to think that I'm this great person. Some of us, it's a, it's a calling in ministry. I have this title in this church, and I'm devoted to this title more than anything. If you take this away from me, like, I, I will not be able to, to handle it. Some of us, it's pleasure. I just want to feel good all the time. I want good vibes. 
I'm not going to rock you for that. Um, life's hard, so yeah, pleasure's good. And then some of us, it's like dreams, right? This is what I want to accomplish. These are my goals, and I'm working 24 hours a day to accomplish this, and nothing gets taken me off this track to, to getting these goals. Now, all the different things that I mentioned, like there's, for the most part, they're good things. Like loving your family is a good thing. Working hard, being ambitious, having goals, providing for the people you love, living in a safe place, having security. This, those are good things. They're not bad things. But if our devotion to those things are deeper than our devotion to Christ, then we are not fit to be his disciples. So we have to ask ourselves, often every day, what am I more devoted to? Am I devoted to this job? Am I devoted to my goals, to my bank account, to this person, this relationship, more than I am to Christ? And if we, if we can answer that, yes, then we need to repent in that moment and say, Jesus, you are actually the one who deserves my love, my loyalty, and my enthusiasm. And I will gladly give up this thing that I hold dearly to follow you. Jesus is not going to play second fiddle. Jesus is not going to accept him being your, your, your most foremost devotion and your spouse or and your job or and your dreams. It's Jesus and then everything else comes after. There's literally no other option. Jesus doesn't have like a suggestion box and say, all right, yeah, if, if you want to like do a combination of me and this thing, it's, it's him and everything else underneath. So if that's not how you're looking at it. You're not a disciple, or you're not doing a good job of being a disciple. Jesus is not going to play second fiddle. There's a story um, in Matthew chapter 19 where this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him, like, what do I have to do to get eternal life? Jesus tells him, like, all right, you need to, you know, follow the commandments, and then you'll get eternal life. And then the, the, the ruler is like, well, yeah, ever since I was young, I've, I've done all these things. I follow all of the law. And Jesus tells him, okay, good. Sell what you possess and give it to the poor. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And when that young man heard that, he went away sorrowful for what he had, his possessions that were great. If it causes you sorrow to give up those things that you're holding on to, that you're devoted to, in order to follow Christ, that is a call for you to abandon those things and put Jesus first. So that's the first part of Jesus' invitation. You want to be my disciple? Give up everything to follow me. Put me first above everything else. How's that sound? Second aspect of Jesus' invitation is that Jesus calls us to suffer. That's really popular, right? So Jesus says, whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And it's funny that Jesus uses that, that expression, right? Because the cross at that time was known to be one of the cruelest, the most painful, the most torturous ways to die. That's where that term excruciating comes from. It comes from the cross, being crucified. 
And this is the method of death that Jesus uses to explain what it means like to follow him, right? You're going to suffer. Pick up your cross every single day and follow me. So if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, if you're going to take him up on this invitation, you are going to suffer. That is like the biggest spoiler alert in Christianity. Some of us have just started following Christ or some of us have been walking with Christ for decades now. And like you need to understand that things will go wrong. If we look at the apostles, I love looking at this from time to time, and we look at the ways they die or how their lives ended out, Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was pierced with spears. Philip was arrested and put to death. Matthew was stabbed. They poked him, right? Bartholomew was killed. James was clubbed to death. Can you imagine being clubbed to death? Matthias burned to death. This one I think is like one of the hardest to imagine. John was boiled in oil. Like you ever, you ever cooking like platanos? Like the, you drop water by accident because maybe you wash your hands like I do obsessively. And then the oil pops out of the pan and burns you, right? That sting. Imagine being sat in a tube with oil burning and not dying, right? He doesn't even die. He gets exiled to the island of Patmos. This is how it fares out for the apostles. So if anyone has ever told you, like, it's all fairy tales and Jesus is here to hug you all day long and life's going to be great. You're going to be healthy. You're going to be prosperous. And you're going to die and go to hell. I mean, not hell. Well, I mean, if that's what you're after, then you will. Uh, Freudian slip. But, right, if, if that's what you've been sold, you're going to be very disappointed. That's not what it means to, to, to live for Jesus and to be a disciple. You are going to deal with imaginable loss. You are going to get sick, or someone you love is going to get sick. They're going to get cancer, and they're going to die. They're going to die inexplicably. They're going to be sick. You're going to be shamed. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be ridiculed. You're going to be betrayed by the people closest to you or abandoned by them. You might lose your job. Right? These, these are things that, that happen. When you become a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. And as followers of Jesus, we don't look for the escape hatch, right? Yes, we pray and we ask God, like, deliver me from this trial. Deliver me from the suffering because no one wants to experience that. But disciples of Jesus also pray that God would keep them faithful through it. So... Second part of Jesus' invitation, right? You are going to suffer. And you need to be willing to do that every day if you're going to follow me. So let's sum up Jesus' invitation to be a disciple. One, we give up everything, everything that we love and hold dear, to put him first and foremost in our lives. We're fully devoted to him. We love him, we're loyal to him, and more enthusiastic about him than any person, cause, or activity. Second, 
we pick up our cross, and we suffer. Again, if I'm in that crowd, I'm like, I don't know, Jesus. That doesn't sound great. It's not something I think I want to sign up for. I think, again, I'll just grab some fish and I'll grab some bread and I'll be on my merry way. So the question to us is, why should we take Jesus upon this invitation to be a disciple? Why did we see people like Paul, people like Andrew, Matthias, James, Christians before us, why have we seen them give up everything they hold dear and love and be fully devoted to Jesus, be fully devoted to suffering for his sake? What was in it for them? What's in it for you today as you consider whether or not I take Jesus up on this invitation to be a disciple? Two things. This is the good part, right? The first part is that we get God. We get God. God is literally the most amazing, the most beautiful, the most interesting being there is to know. God literally spoke and stars were created. Planets were formed. All of creation happened with just him just saying it. He knows literally everything there is to know about everything. He could be anywhere. He can do anything he wants. He's the most interesting person in the world, like that Dos Equis commercial. He is literally it. He's the pinnacle of existence. And you get him. You get to be with him, to get to know him, to get to commune with him. You get to say he's yours. I think that's lost on us sometimes. This is the God of the universe. I think it's lost on us because in this life, he's not always as tangible as we would want. Right? We get to experience him profoundly and deeply, but in part. Like if you were to think about the person you look up to the most, or like your superhero or a celebrity, let's say if Bad Bunny was downstairs in the Fellowship Hall, and he was like, look, I'm going to give you the opportunity to, to literally spend the rest of your life with me. Every single moment, you'll get to know me, come on tour with me, come on stage, we'll eat together, we'll spend all of our lives together, and then when we die, we'll be together forever. You'll be like, I can go downstairs and, and be with Bad Bunny right now? And don't front, because I've seen some of your Insta stories, right? Like you're at his concerts, dancing, singing his music at the top of your lungs, or your Spotify wrapped up list has you in the like top 0.5% of Bad Bunny's music. Or maybe that's not Bad Bunny for some of you. Maybe that's like LeBron James or Derek Jeter or Donald Trump. I don't know, right? Maybe wrong church. Who's that person? If you could be like, man, I could get five to ten minutes with him, I get the rest of my life with him, who is that person that you would be so excited to do that with? Because you can talk to them, you can see them, you can hug them, you can eat with them. I think it's lost on us how great it is that we actually get God because we don't get to do that yet. We still get to experience him. We still are transformed by him because he's incredible, because he's given us his word and that's how we can know him. 
We get to experience him by being a part of his body, the church. We get to experience his grace as we think about the ways he's forgiven us of our sins and continues to forgive us of our sins. We get to experience him and have him through the Holy Spirit who's guiding us, who's prompting us. We get to experience his compassion and grace when we, we suffer through trials, through loss. We experience his joy as we, we experience new life and new opportunity and, and, and blessings. We get to experience him in part, and that's incredible. But one day we actually will get to experience him in full. And that experience is going to be, there is, I don't have the words to explain how incredible that's going to be. Paul says, I would rather die right now and be with Christ than to be here. But I'm going to stick around here because you need me. Imagine a future so incredible that you'd be willing to die right now and leave everything you love and hold dear. We get God. We get to be with him. Right? These are promises. Revelation chapter 21. This is John speaking. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And for the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. In Romans 8, Paul says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy Comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We get Jesus, we get God now in part, and that's incredible. But what the Christians who have gone before us understood and saw is that when they, they chose to be devoted to Christ more than anything, when they were willing to suffer for his sake, what they saw before him was getting God, getting to be with him. And that is literally the most incredible thing you could ever, ever ask for. The second thing they saw and that we get to experience is that life is actually lived more abundantly here on earth when we choose to be a disciple. And that's because Jesus reframes life and we get to live it in the proper context. So when you think about your family and you think about those who, who you hold dear, you actually get to love and engage with them from Christ's perspective. And when you do that, the relationship is deeper. It's fuller. It's truer. When we think about the resources that he's blessed us with, be that your mind, be that the money that he's given you, the energy, no longer do we need to hold that for ourselves, but we actually get to take part and the blessing, the blessing is taking those resources and using it for his glory. It's actually more satisfying when we look at our resources that way. When we look at our identity that a lot of times we hold dear to ourselves and we fight to put up images that people accept. We no longer need to do that because we're hidden in him. 
He becomes our identity. Our worth is not tied up into the image that we project. Our worth is tied into who he is. When we suffer, when that loved one dies, when you get sick, when you get abandoned, when you lose your job, when life doesn't pan out the way that you thought it would, that's not in vain. As a disciple, we know that God works all things for our good. And that he uses those trials, he uses those sufferings to produce good character, to make us like himself. Life is lived more abundantly when we are disciples of Christ. So as, as I close, I think there are two people in this room. There are those who would call themselves disciples. The encouragement for us is to hold on to our devotion to Christ. To not let things sneak up like it's easy for it to happen. To not let those things come and knock Jesus down a peg and become the thing that we're most devoted to. That demands our love, our loyalty, our enthusiasm. The encouragement is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. To hold fast to him. Because we get to have him now and then one day we will have him in full and that will be extraordinary. Beyond words. The encouragement is that as you are suffering, which some of us might be suffering right now through trials, or when they come up, we know that we don't suffer in vain. It's not for nothing. God uses it for his glory and for your good. So for those of us who call ourselves disciples, hold fast to our devotion and suffer well. For those who are not yet disciples, maybe you've counted a cost. Maybe you've done that in the last 30 minutes. Maybe you've done that over the last couple of years, a couple of weeks, whatever that is. Maybe you thought about what would it mean if I gave up X, Y, Z that I hold very dearly. Am I willing to pay that price to get Jesus, to be a disciple? Maybe you've thought about, I don't want to suffer. I want to live a good life. I want to die happy and old. And then I want to go to heaven. I'm going to ask you to consider one thing. I'm going to ask you to consider the fact that Jesus is not asking you to do something that he hasn't done himself. You see, Jesus actually models devotion to God and suffering well on the cross. Because what Jesus does, being God, being in glory, being the Lord of the universe, comes down into humanity in human form and lives as a human being up until the age of 33. Perfectly obedient to God, perfectly devoted, perfectly doing everything without sin. 
And as he's on the cross dying with the wrath of God placed on him, he's doing it for two reasons. He's doing it for the, the sake of the glory of God. Right? Because for God to not destroy all of us for all of our sins instantly, which what is, is what we deserve, there needs to be a sacrifice. Someone needs to pay the payment of our sins in order for you to sit here in these comfy chairs and praise God. Right? The righteousness of God is at stake if he just lets sin go. Jesus is so devoted to God that he leaves glory, that he comes into human form and suffers and dies on the cross, giving up everything that he's entitled to, that he holds dear for the sake of the glory of God. And then Jesus dies for our sake. Because we can be forgiven through his sacrifice, we have life in him. We can come before him. We can, we can be with him forever. Jesus shows devotion. He suffers through the cross. And he suffers faithfully. So Jesus doesn't ask you to do something he hasn't done himself. Jesus' invitation is based on the fact that if you follow him, you have more to gain than you can ever imagine in this life and in the life to come. So whatever it costs you, Whatever you're holding on to, give it up freely. Give it up freely to get God. Because that is literally the best deal you could ever make. What's in it for you? The best thing imaginable. What's in it for you? The best reality, the best outcome imaginable. And that's found in the person, the character work of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you that although the ask is very steep, what we stand to gain is incomparable. We already experience your joy, your peace, your love, your grace all that you are here on earth, in this imperfect world, in this sinful and imperfect body. But what you have for those who are fully devoted to you, who are willing to suffer on your behalf, is a glory that we will spend eternity unpacking. This is literally the best thing that we could ever want for ourselves. It's the, this is worth buying into. This is worth going all in on to know you, to suffer well with you, to be with you eternally. So Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts. I pray that this, we would leave with more disciples here today and that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name.